Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, a podcast about everything you need to know about teens. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we speak teenager. Uh, did we also mention that we're best friends? We've worked as admission officers, prep school administrators, and most importantly, have coached thousands of teens. In other words, we have seen it all. So join us every week as we give you the lowdown on all the shit your teenager isn't telling you. Because trust us, there's a lot of it. And if you don't know what to do with the teenagers in your life, don't worry. We've got your back. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Will Not Tell You, but Kathy and Meredith will. We're super excited to, I don't know, maybe excited is not the right word. We are eager to share here in recording in May our thoughts on the 22-23 admission cycle. Kathy, are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. And I think it's like, you know, we were talking about this episode earlier. We're not going to offer you a lot of facts and figures. That's not really our thing. But we do want to uh, offer hey, you. sometimes that's our thing. Sometimes that's our thing. Not but today. Like, I'm not that in, like there's lots of other, you know, go talk to college wise. They're going to have some big presentation about the actual data. <laughs> yeah, fair. Like, I'm not interested in putting together that report, but I am interested in reflecting on the process and what it looked like for the group of students that we worked with and the families, their parents, and just some trends that we're noticing are just themes, takeaways. I don't know that any of them are that different than our takeaways from last year, but they continue to be true. And it's, you know, college admissions. I mean, it's like not my favorite thing. I'll be perfectly honest. Well, let's let's get into it. Let's get into it. So what we want to do in today's episode is share what we see as stuff, trends, patterns you need to be aware of if you have a child going through this process in the coming years. So I'm going to start off with one and so many to choose from. So I think the one that I want to start off with is that application volume to highly selective colleges just continues to go up and up and up and up and up and up. Kids are applying to more schools than ever. They got these ridiculously long lists and there's plenty of high school students. And, and so from what that- the, I just want to interrupt really quickly. And from the same type of students, like those college apps yes. are up at those schools from kids who are typically at, you know, well-resourced, mm-hmm. wealthy, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Family, you know, like that's kind of the band of kids that are increasing their applications to these highly selective colleges. Correct. Because they can afford to pay the $75 application fees. So that's happening. That's also happening on the international landscape. I think sometimes, Kathy, you and I don't talk enough about how international applicants play a role in the process. So heads up, everybody. Total volume of applications is high which means that schools can manipulate their admission numbers in ways to admit very few students and then appear to have very low admit rates, which, shocking, they do. So that has all kinds of cascading consequences that I think have real impact on a family. For example, Kathy and I were just talking before this call, like when you are taking your child to go visit colleges, do not only visit REACH schools, because guess what? They're going to mostly get denied from all of them. So the volume of applications allows schools that were already very selective anyway to be even more selective. So your child is competing against 
160,000 other applicants if you're looking at, say, a UC campus. So think about that in the context of and what that means for how a college can be really, really picky about who they accept and let that information empower you in the research process to diversify. So that's one trend I see. Kathy, what you got? Yeah, and I would add to that, you know, it's really easy when you have a sample size of one, two, or three, maybe four kids. And maybe they're like the, the Duggars. The du- <laughs> How many they got? Like 12, 13? Uh, <laughs> I, think they're st- I think they're still counting. <laughs> they're still counting. <laughs> Hilarious. So it's easy to be like, my kid has got a nearly perfect standardized test score. My kid has a near perfect GPA. They've taken really hard classes. And so shouldn't they, and they've also been really involved in their school, and they're a great ex, like fill in the blank, right? And just a wonderful human being and mature and lovely. We work with a lot of those kids. and But you can't take that information and then extrapolate from it that they're going to get into a highly selective college. A does not equal B. Like just because you do all the check all the boxes, you may not get into a single highly selective college because there are kids doing way effing more. We work with those kids too. And there are kids doing a whole lot less. (laughs) We also work with those kids. So we kind of see the whole spectrum of students. But I find that the kids who really struggle, this is a takeaway this year, like the kids who struggle the most with their decision are the kids who really have done everything right. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, but wait a minute. I was supposed to do, I did all the things. Like, what, what, like, what more was I supposed to do? Well, like, I don't really know, but you didn't do enough and you didn't stand out in the pool. You weren't compelling in one way or the other for the school, right? They're putting together a class. They've got needs they need to fill and you didn't feel that need for them. I'm sorry. But that's why, like, I want to scare parents because I want your kids to have options. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I just had a kid come back from school visits, and I was like, oh, my God, why did you go visit all of these reaches? Because you are not going to get in any of these schools, honey bunny. Right? Yep. I mean, we say it all the time. The admission process is kind of a meritocracy, but not actually one. There are elements of it that reward hard work over time and involvement, et cetera, et cetera. But there's most of it is not that. And at the highly, highly selective schools. And even if it were that, there's just too many kids for spots in a freshman class at a place like Dartmouth or Duke. So volume is high. I think the other trend that I'm seeing. Before you move on to that trend. I would also say that because the volume applications are so high and it's gotten so selective in the selective world, it's actually made it much harder for people like us and people in schools to predict what's going to happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I used to, I feel like 10 years ago, I could have been like, yeah, that's probably going to happen for you. Even if it was a highly selective, I was like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's in your world. Like, I think it's possible. Mm -hmm. Like Now, I don't feel like I have that power. And we'll talk about the UCs in a minute, especially at the UCs. I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> and nobody oh, does. Oh, yeah. Like, nobody literally, does. Literally, nobody does. Nobody like, you does. used to be able to be like, oh, yeah, at the very least, you'll get UCLA, Berkeley, right? Like, one of those are going to come through for you. And now it's like, I don't know. You could get zero. You, can, get, you can go zero for zero. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or zero for 12 or whatever it is, however many campuses there are. Okay, so my other trend that I was going to share is, well, I have two, and now I'm trying to remember the second and decide between them. 
Oh, I remembered. So I've been working with a lot of students who have been doing their due diligence to investigate like how selective is a school. And so they'll tell me, you know, hey, this is a reach or this is a target or this is a likely. And a lot of these students rather go to high schools where they have some kind of college counseling software like Naviance or Maya Learning or what's the other one? There's some other one that you see a lot in schools. And so they're able to kind of suss out their academic profile relative to the history of students from their high school who've matriculated to a particular college. So like I could see in the last five years, how many kids from my high school went to Sarah Lawrence and what was their GPA SAT profile, right? And so they're doing that. But what they're not thinking about is that selectivity can differ based on the major that you are looking to pursue. So newsflash, here we are in Silicon Valley. Any of you who are interested in computer science, data science, AI, applied like applied math, computer engineering, game design, biotech, biotech, <laughs> those majors right now are, you know, you could be applying to a school that has an overall admit rate of say 45%. And you think, gosh, you know, my statistics tell me that I am a great fit, that that's a likely school for me based on that number. But when you investigate further and you realize that, oh, admits to the computer science program are 8%. We're talking all, to all you, dub. <laughs> we are talking to you. We're UW. talking to you. We're talking to dub. We're talking to Purdue. We're yeah. talking to, where else are we talking to? Illinois. We're talking to Illinois. Thank you. But then I'm going to like anticipate the question that some parents are probably asking if they're listening to this right now. It's like, aha, well, I know what I'll do. I'll have my kid apply to be a creative writing major and then switch once they get there. Dumb idea, because guess what? It's just as competitive, if not more competitive, once your kid arrives at that college. And so that whole kind of, I don't know, whoever started that rumor that if you apply to a major you don't really want to go into just so you get into the school and can then do an internal transfer that somehow that's easier in almost every case that I'm aware of, that's going to be so much more difficult. And now your kid who really wanted to study like artificial intelligence is stuck reading like the Bronte sisters all, all weekend long. Like that sucks. We used to say I mean, that at USC. Remember when kids would uh, try it because the film school was so selective at USC, but the rest of USC was not as selective. And so kids would like try to get around it by applying to, you know, into the College of Letters and Sciences. And then, but we would always say, we're like, don't do it because if you could come to USC and you could never get into the film school, like never, you could apply and apply and apply and it can never happen for you. And if you're okay with that, then like, okay, fine. But <laughs> okay, fine. But if like, if your dream is to study film production at USC, like, mm, I wouldn't so, count on it. I think the reason I'm sharing this particular piece of information is because I sometimes find myself pretty taken aback at the lack of rigor with which students and families research colleges. Colleges do provide information about their admission statistics and your child's wish to attend a school, that they liked it when they visited, or that you think it's a good fit for your child, doesn't actually materially make that school easier to get into. So we need to move away from sort of this place of emotional wishing and hoping and fingers crossing for a thing to happen and get real about how selective schools and individual majors and programs are so that you can make educated, informed sound decisions on what a list should look like and how balanced the list is. Because there's a lot of like, 
well, I just think it's important to try and I really believe in so-and-so. And it's like, yes, and it's not really about that. Yep. Facts, dude. Facts. It's, you know. I Colleges think we, don't care about that. They don't care about your individual beliefs in your child. I hate to break it to you, parents. It's not what they don't. It's not why they're making decisions. No, they don't. And that's why they don't ask you for your opinion. <laughs> right. That's why you play no role in the application. <laughs> that's right. They don't care about your Do you opinion. Remember that all? one time that I, you probably don't remember this, but I, I think I like went around the entire office being like, hey, everybody, look at this. I was reading an application and I had like, I opened up the letters of recommendation and there were an abundant amount of them and they were all from this person's family. <laughs> and let me tell you, one of those cousins was pretty honest. <laughs> pretty funny. I was like, oh, okay. Mom and dad were pretty supportive, but this cousin's got things to get off her chest. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. I know. The things, I still see, remember. the things you see in admissions. It was so funny. All right. So, what's so, another one? Another one for me this year, I think this is also in the same thread that I was talking about earlier with like, it's not enough just to do the things. Like you can't just check all the boxes and be like, and now I'm going to Columbia. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're just not. There is something I'm noticing, which is the kids that I work with. And, you know, at Village, we start working with kids you know, potentially freshman year. We're not doing college coaching per se. We're more doing life coaching. But I've noticed like one of the things that we push a lot is getting outside of your comfort zone and developing personally, challenging yourself, not just staying in your lane all the time, right? Even if it's like out of left field, like it's actually good to just throw yourself into something because you're curious about it because you think it could be fun, because you think it'll be hard. And I noticed that this year. I felt like my kids who had a more positive outcome were kids who were willing to throw themselves into those uncomfortable situations. And the ones who were less had more in-the-box kind of profiles, right? And the kids who were willing to take more risks actually had profiles that were Maybe a little bit more interesting, different. I don't want everybody to try to pursue uniqueness for the sake of being unique, but I want families to think about ways that they can help develop their kids' maturity and personal growth by encouraging them to do hard things and get out of their yeah. I think, I think yeah, we've said this before, like in other episodes, but I really noticed that this year. Like, what am I? students, I was like, damn, girl, you kind of cleaned up. <laughs> she didn't get in everywhere. She didn't get into all of her reaches, but she got into some and unexpected. Like I was surprised to be honest. And I was like, I don't understand like what I think that is. And I've got another student who is not a senior yet, but getting into like really selective summer programs, research programs that I'm like, what's the secret sauce here? You know, like what's going on with these kids? And their academic profiles are actually really different. These two students. But I was like, I really think it's the personal growth, you know, the thing that we talk about so much. Because the one student I'm thinking, like, she really did something that's kind of different and hard, and she didn't want to do it. I remember when we talked about it last summer, she was like, I don't know. It sounds like it could be a lot of fun, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. It's so hard, right? And I was like, you can do it. It's going to be such a great experience if you do it, right? And she – Walked away from that experience being like, oh, my God, this is one of the best things I ever did in my life. 
And she was able to talk about it in really powerful and meaningful ways in her application. And I think it made a difference. You know, as someone who has spent a lifetime feeling uncomfortable with uncertainty, I (laughs) empathize with what you're talking about. Yeah. But the word that kept coming into my brain when you were talking is, is sort of industry, industriousness. I'm thinking about this a lot because I've been having a lot of summer conversations with students that I work with who are not, you know, rising juniors, rising seniors, and they have these ideas for what they want to do in the summer because they're following their passions. They're curious about something, but when it comes down to it and it's not like a pre-existing program with like a start and a stop date where there's one person that they can contact when they actually have to make it start it from scratch they have to build it from the ground up they have to knock on doors send emails get rejected and actually be creative and be lean into all the uncertainty knowing that their great idea could fall flat on its face they aren't willing to work hard or originally and i think part of what i'm hearing you say is like so many students look the same on paper because they are, they're not original, you know, and I don't want to make this about uniqueness either, but like do hard things, make your kids do hard things. And a hard thing isn't going on a program in another country where everything is laid out for them, where every single meal is planned for them, where everything, you know, they're always going to be reminded to be somewhere on time, make them do things that are difficult and they won't want to all of the time. But what I'm noticing is this, you know, these kids, and it comes out in like our work with them where I'm like, well, what do you think you want to talk about on your essay? And they are just little lemmings waiting for me to give them the answer. I'm like, I'm like, oh no, no, no. That's not how she rolls. Like, <laughs> I just can, had this. I told you. You need to I, use your brain. <laughs> I just told you I had the same conversation with one of my students. So I was like, how can I be helpful to you? And she's like, if you could just tell me all of the programs that would actually make me a competitive candidate for these highly selective colleges that I'm interested in. And I'm like, honey, that's not how it works. Like, that's I not wish, how it works. I wish it were that simple because trust me, I would package that shit and I would sell it for a hell of a lot of but money. But you know what? You know what I've noticed? So this is what I've noticed. So, okay, the kid has this idea for summer. It doesn't actually exist. They have to like do some hard work. They have to create it. They have to start it. They have to reach out to people, blah, 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 blah. What I have noticed, and I have had many conversations this year about this, parents then reach out to me. We feel nervous because so-and-so's summer plans aren't solidified. And I'm like, you're right. They're not because they need to like make them solid. And then parents get anxious about that, and then start to do exactly the opposite of what their child needs, which is to figure out how to make the summer program happen for them. So they are the ones building the summer program. They are the ones reaching out to their network. They are the ones sending emails. They are the ones asking around, well, could my kid do this or that or the other, which is totally defeating the purpose. Like even if a kid doesn't see, like I'm working with a student who's trying to start this like running program. And it may not work. Like he may not get it off the ground. And you know what? The experience of failing to get it off the ground is really valuable and important. And we were having this conversation of like, well, should I just give up and like go do this calculus class online instead? And I'm like, well, 
that's boring. Sure. If you want to, you can, but like you want to, you're attracted to that because it's so defined for you. Right. So kids are going to get, they're going to get rejected from highly selective admission processes because those schools are super selective, but they're definitely also going to get kicked out if they're not demonstrating a desire and a willingness and a resilience to do hard stuff. Mm -hmm. That's it. So You've got to, it's not enough just to like be really, really good at math and physics, right? Parents, parents are, don't conflate that <laughs> with mm. mm-hmm. being well a strong candidate for a highly selective college. Like that means your kid's a good student and they will get into college undoubtedly and they will get into a good college. Does that mean they're getting into a highly selective college? It just doesn't. And we see it over and over again. And that is why so much of the village philosophy, like the way that we coach is just like we don't spend time packaging kids. Like we're not like, oh, okay, let's look at let's look at these list of extracurricular and summer programs and why don't you pick three? Like we don't do that because it's about personal development. I think those are the kids who do best in the process. And I'm seeing that this year as a trend. Another trend or just reflection, if you haven't gotten the memo yet, and we've said it earlier in this episode, but If you're a California resident and you want an in-state option and you want to pay public school tuition, which is not cheap, let's be clear, (laughs) right? but it's cheaper than private school most of the time, you cannot, even if your kid is a straight-A student, you cannot depend on getting a UC option. So you bet your ass you're applying to Cal States. (laughs) You must Take the Cal States seriously if you want an in-state option. And we're not talking Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. No, we're not not just Cal Poly slow. For computer science. (laughs) For computer science. I know. Hilarious. Oh, my God. That's another trend. Uh, (laughs) That's another trend, right? Like every kid is applying STEM comp sci. Like, Lord. Uh, Was that you about to throw up? Was that what that was? Lord. I mean, it's just so. Hairball. I'm not mad at kids who I'm not married, but I might as well be married to a software engineer. But, you know, like I'm not poo-pooing on computer science. I'm just saying lots of people want to do it. I had a student this year who applied computer science. I didn't work with him his senior year. I worked with him his sophomore year. Very briefly, we talked about like potential majors. Computer science was not on the table at this time. I'm friends with his mom. So his mom was texting with me and she, I was like, what major did he pick? And she was like, oh my God, he's getting shut out of all these schools. And I was like, what major? And she was like, comp sci. I was like, well, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Comp sci people. I mean, I don't know if that's a theme or a trend or it's definitely like- It's replaced business, you know? It's replaced the business major. As it's like, repla- right, right. As, as like the, the trendy. the hot major. And it's like, if your kid is not sure about comp sci, please yeah. don't jump into that pool. <laughs> if your kid is not sure about STEM, like don't jump into that pool. It's such a competitive pool. Well, yeah. or if you do, then you better believe you need to have a very diverse list of schools. You need to start looking at computer science programs at schools you've probably never even heard of. Yep, yep, yep. Agree. And you need to be excited about them, right? You can't just be like, well, yeah. <laughs> You're probably going to them. (laughs) Yeah. You know, early action, early decision applications are high in volume, low in admit rate. You know, I think that schools continue, you know, the the degree to which you get some admission advantage with an early decision varies from school to school. It's good information to research. But when the volume of early 
applicants is so high, again, that allows colleges and universities to be more selective in early pools than they would have been maybe even five years ago. And so the other impact of that sort of trend is that so many aspects of the process are just starting earlier. You know, like I think when when I was, I was telling a parent the other day, you know, when I first started doing college counseling, the idea that I would recommend a student take standardized testing outside of the spring of their junior year, like wouldn't have occurred to me. I would have been like, of course, there's plenty of time. You've got all kinds of time. You know, and I, I had kids taking standardized tests in fall of senior year. And now, you know, you're seeing that change. And sometimes I think that can be good. Sometimes I think that's not good. But it makes the process of researching colleges and figuring out your list happen a lot in junior year. And okay, and I'm going to say something controversial that people aren't going to love. I think that if your child goes to a school with a dedicated college counseling office, I think that there are some, and I do mean some, like I feel like some schools have adjusted. There are some college counseling offices that are operating on a dated timeline. So their timeline of when they start working with juniors today still looks the same as it did 10 years ago. And I think that that's a mistake because whether we like it or not, it's not a question of if we like it, the timeline has shifted and it would behoove some of those schools to, you know, shift accordingly. Yep. I agree. I don't think that, I think a lot of schools, like I remember when I was working in a school, you know, the argument for like not starting too early is that we're going to cause so much stress if we were putting, overemphasizing the college process. And I was like, "Mm, I don't think we're overemphasizing. We're just addressing a need in the community. And I think it causes a lot more anxiety when you don't make the information readily available or the resources, yeah, or the resources available. Like I have kids who are like, I'm not even allowed to step foot in the office until I'm a junior. And I was like, that's silly. 100%. 100%. I mean, I think more information. Well, I don't know. I'm a neurotic control freak. So more information always makes me feel better. I think that I, I mean, like you're not going to you don't get to like a school thinks like they're going to change the culture single handedly. Like, no, we've got to address. Well, and I think it's because educators sometimes operate in these vacuums of idealism that do not reflect reflect the <laughs> reflect the actual industry, you know, reflect the real world, reflect the reality of what children are experiencing when they move through the process. And ultimately, we're doing children a disservice if we're not preparing them in a timely manner. Yeah, so and this is my final reflection. You bring up a really good point, which is that kids are more stressed and anxious than ever, I feel. Like, yeah. I see so much more stress and anxiety with this process and mm-hmm. fewer kids who are kind of like, well, and especially in the world that we live in, like we live in Silicon Valley, we are dealing with a lot of times really, you know, kids who are coming from families who have a lot of expectations for them, schools, cultures, like this is just like, it's kind of in the air for them. I think in other communities, there may not be so much pressure on the college process, but I feel like with the kids I'm working with, I see so much more stress and anxiety, so much more like this outcome defines me. It's always been that way, but I feel like it's even more now and yeah, kids are really struggling, you know, they're really anxious, they're really stressed. And even parents were like, we've been telling our daughter since day one, like, it doesn't matter where you go to college. We believe in you. We think you're going to be great no matter what you do. 
I don't know how we protect our kids from that. Like I've been thinking about that that a lot. It hurts mm-hmm. me to see kids so stressed and anxious, you know. And it's so unfortunate that so much of it is wrapped up in this college process. Well, I think so much. I mean, we have to move away from achievement equals self worth. We have to as a culture. If we don't, we're just we're hurting our young people so much. You know, college is a match to be made, not a prize to be won. We've said that on this show a lot, and it's a cute phrase. But part of what we mean by that is that, like, if your child's self-concept relies on where they go to college or you as a parent believe that, you know, again, like otherwise smart people somehow abandoning all good sense. Like it's simply just not true that any one college or any 20 colleges are going to fundamentally provide some amazing transformative life experience for your child that another college that can't provide that has a 20% admit rate instead of a 15% admit rate. Like like when you actually put it that way, it's like absurd to believe that a school that admits 10% of the kids is somehow so much better than a school that admits 30% of the kids. Like, no, that's not how that works. But when Kathy and I talk about how kids are more anxious and stressed than ever, I think, you know, it's interesting because I feel like sometimes that gets heard as, that gets easily dismissed by families and you know, you and I offline have been talking about this and I didn't share something with you that I'll share now. Like in the last two or three weeks, I've had different friends who work at different schools around the country reach out to me about student suicides, you know, kids who've committed suicide, some of them were seniors and, you know, have had conversations with probably another two or three conversations with former colleagues about kids who need some suicidal assessing, you know, who are ideating and causing people to be really worried. And obviously not all of those things were related to the college counseling process. And I don't mean to like make a direct correlation, but when we say kids are more stressed and anxious than ever, like, please know that Kathy and I have seen the spectrum of stressed and anxious in a way that you probably haven't if you have one kid or two kids. And like, we know how dark and scary it can kind of get for kids around this sometimes. And yeah, Kathy, you raise a really good question. Like, how do we inure kids to that negativity? And I think it's really about linking self-concept and self-worth to intrinsic values, to relationships rather than to accomplishments. And that has to start young and has to be modeled. Yep. Ooh, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Not enough to just say it. You got to live it. Yeah, you got to live it. Well, ki- nobody can sniff out hypocrisy better than a teenager. <laughs> you make a good point. <laughs> I mean, truly, it's like the bloodhounds for it. And they will call you out. Anyway, not to end on a somber note, but it's important. And we want you to understand that this process is hard. And these are some of the observations we have just coming out of this year. Hopefully, you can use some of that information to make better choices for yourself as a family. And of course, we are always here to answer questions, to be a resource, to be a sounding board or a gut check. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Any other thoughts, Kathy? No, I just, you know, I have feelings about the college process. I was just on a college tour in Wales, as you know, and I was talking to all these college counselors who were on this tour. And I was like, you know, it's actually one of my least favorite parts of the job for all the reasons we just talked about. Because there's so much kids, well, self-worth is wrapped into it and it's Dumb. Like colleges are actually not that different from each other. And it's not that big of a deal, people. They're going to be all right. (laughs) 
read Challenge Success's white paper. I mean, we've brought it up a million times, but read Arthur Brooks' book, Where You Go Is Not Where You'll Be. Tons of facts and data in there. Yeah, totally. But, you know, we'll keep beating the drum. Drum. That was perfectly in sync. <laughs> We're so in sync. We're so in sync. <laughs> okay, everyone. Thank right, you so much for listening to another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, and we will see you soon. Woot!